Hey everybody, it's Ben Reiser, Director of Operations for the 2021 Wisconsin Film Festival. And also I am the head of the programming committee for the Wisconsin Zone section of the festival. And I, I had that job uh, in the run-up to the 2020 Wisconsin Film Festival as well. And the film that I'm hoping you just watched um, and that we uh, had added to our lineup for that 2020 Wisconsin Film Festival, but did not get to show because that festival got canceled uh, two weeks before it was set to go, um, is Personhood. And here we are a little over a year later, uh, finally getting to share this amazing film with our Wisconsin audiences. Um, and so I'm joined today by Joe Ardinger, who is the director and screenwriter for Personhood, Rosalie Miller, the producer of Personhood, and Samantha Lee, who is an attorney for the NAPW, which stands for the uh, National Advocates for Pregnant Women. Uh, and I want to thank all of you for taking some time out of your busy pandemic schedules and uh, joining us here for this, uh, what I really could not imagine would have been an, a, an online festival this year back a year ago i thought well okay we'll do it next year and uh here we are again online but you know the one silver lining of having the festival online is that it's given us an opportunity to record some more in-depth interviews with uh filmmakers rather than the sort of rushed post-screening q a's that we do where we're trying to clear the auditorium in time for the next screening so we can uh, breathe a little bit easier and delve into personhood and having just watched the film again for the first time in a year um i'm reminded all over again what it's like to watch this film and how you feel when you're done watching this film and so as much as i want to talk about and we will talk about the actual filmmaking behind this film and get into how it was made and your process and all that stuff i think that most people uh first and foremost want to hear what's happening you know where where we are in this country and in this state with with all of the issues that are raised in this film um you know i i'm sure that people love to hear like tammy updates but 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 more importantly you know the the updates about all these fights i i feel like you watch you, you you watch this film and you're like it's like a call to action you're like what can i do how do i get involved what is there to do right now who, who do I need to punch? Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so maybe Sam, maybe you could address this. Sure. So as you see in the film, um, the Seventh Circuit, uh, the, the Western District of Wisconsin, in Tammy Latra's case, declared this law unconstitutional and stops, stopped its enforcement across the state. But then the Seventh Circuit said, no, actually, she moved out of state, so this law will not be applied to her in the future. She can't bring a case anymore. It's moot. And so they threw out the decision and the injunction. So this law continues to be applied across Wisconsin. Um, the, the Department of Children and Families statistics, their own statistics, say there's a prop approximately 460 people per year who have the level of intervention that Tammy experienced. There's about 1,200 people per year who are investigated. They might have that first court appearance, but then it's decided they don't have 
the length, the jail time, the forced drug treatment, um, the more lengthy intervention. And I actually was just working with a public defender on a, one of these cases. And the list, the, the person was not being threatened with jail. She was being threatened only with supervision, which was four pages of limits on every aspect of her medical and personal life. So anyone staying in her apartment overnight had to be approved by the state. Um, they needed copies of all of her lease agreements, all of the bills that she received. She needed approval from them before she could get a job. Um, just truly every aspect of her life. Um, so unfortunately it does continue to be enforced. Um, Can I, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've got more to say, but I want to, I want to, cause already my blood is boiling. <laughs> I want to say like, wait a minute. So this crazy sort of appellate court decision or whatever it is that, 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 that said the decision was mute, was moot, sorry, before, because she is no longer living in the state. Um, is, was there no way to appeal that decision? I mean, is that, is that, is that really, I mean, the, the film sort of makes it clear that it's really Tammy's bravery and Tammy, Tammy's, um, insistence on, on going to court about this, but there, there, there's nobody else sort of lined up to sort of take her place and say, I'll be the, I'll be the next person to challenge this law that that was you know I, I understand like you need to have standing but was there there was no way to challenge their idea that she no longer had standing because she had moved out of the state so unfortunately not really because the only body that you would appeal to is the seventh circuit who just issued that decision mm. or the supreme court of the united states mm -hmm. who choose whether or not they take cases Right. Um, so unfortunately there really wasn't more to do with Tammy's case. We are seeking plaintiffs for a future case that, um, would be similar in its arguments, but hopefully have multiple plaintiffs so that if for some reason, one person's case gets thrown out, there remain other people who are bringing the case. But as is described in the movie, people aren't guaranteed a lawyer for these proceedings. So it's actually very hard for us to find those 460 people per year who are subject. Mm -hmm. So, so is one thing that maybe viewers of this film can do is if they know somebody who went through this, uh, and, and might be willing to, to get involved, like that's something they could contact, I guess your organization or. Yeah. So, we would love that if they would reach out to us at National Advocates for Pregnant Women. And we are trying to organize with public defenders, doctors, social workers, doulas, midwives around the state um, to have more people know about these cases and this issue, refer cases to us, get assistance with their cases, and um, hopefully find a plaintiff to bring a similar case in the future. Yeah. And, and and nationally, at the end of the film, there's this threat of uh, sort of a federal uh, law being enacted that would, you know, nullify any sort of state's rights or whatever, and and, and make this a, make this kind of law a, a national level thing. What 
what do you know, what can you tell us about the fight for against that happening? I apologize. I actually don't remember that point. I don't know if- um, Am Joe I was... saying it wrong, Joe and no, Rosalie? Those, those efforts have been happening every single year they come up. There's always a tried and true member of Congress who's ready to um, put that sanctity of life effort forward or some other, um, you know, per, a, a direct personhood measure. They don't go very far on that federal level, but there's always that threat, you know, and it's interesting, um, you know, the way that Tammy came to National Advocates for Pregnant Women was exactly what Sam was talking about and that her mom heard about, you know, the advocates and she called up and said, you know, my daughter's in jail. And so, you know, this kind of um, bringing attention to the issue is really important because then there might be that other person who's family member. Uh, because what happens is you get so swept up in the anxiety and the stress of really this huge life event that's happening, not only through pregnancy, but also through this legal trouble that you're in, that I think people are just afraid. They just want to make sure that they, you know, can navigate without ending, you know, in jail. They're not thinking about let's fight the law or they just want the stigma of it to kind of be put aside. Um, so, you know, just getting the word out is really important. And then also there is um, a, a group repro action who's doing work in Wisconsin and they have a petition that can be signed um, and, you know, kind of, bringing this to the attention of the governor and saying, you know, this law shouldn't be enforced anymore. And so, you know, there is that effort too, but I, I think it's going to require, um, you know, a time that isn't the pandemic when everyone is really just trying to figure out how they're going to get through their own weeks. Um, and also just more attention to the law because, um, even the physician who, um, we heard on the phone uh, with the attorneys, you know, after the fact, I learned that she really didn't understand exactly how her words and um, what she was reporting was going to be used against Tammy. She didn't know that a patient was going to be detained in this manner. So it's a matter of educating doctors, educating attorneys um, and, and, and the general public. Yeah. I, uh, Oh, sorry, Ben. I no, just no, talked over you there. No, I just wanted to bring up, and this actually isn't something that we've talked a lot about, but I, I just really appreciated Samantha's comment about working with midwives and doulas. I think that they provide a really important role in terms of being advocates for pregnant people and childbearing people. And it's definitely something that probably doesn't get a lot of just that narrative. I don't hear a lot about quite frankly. Um, and of course I'm thinking about it today because it's international midwives day. <laughs> so I feel like I need to say that. And, you know, I learned so much more about that kind of role in my own experience as a pregnant person. And I worked with midwives and I had a doula, you know, at my birth experience. Um, and there's a lot there and there's a lot to unpack because, you know, doulas may not always be accessible and, you know, and that's a whole other conversation, but I just really want to, uh, say thank you, Sam, for saying that, 
because I do think that's actually a really important part of this kind of more holistic conversation, you know, about maternal health and mental health and the well-being of pregnant people. Yeah. So let's let's go back, and I would love to hear, um, Joe and Rosalie, how how you became involved in telling this story in the first place and 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 at what stage of 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 tammy's journey was she in when you first got involved yeah um i had started a film on the personhood movement because i had never heard anything about it and then the more i dug into it and learned that these you know, there were laws on the books in this country where uh, these kinds of outcomes were happening and uh, people were being put in jail or losing their children um, and, and for seemingly ridiculous things. And so I was really intrigued by that. And I got connected with National Advocates for Pregnant Women. And, you know, we had done some interviews and that's when Tammy's case came up. And they knew that I was looking for a story to tell of someone who was in this process. And um, Tammy had just had her baby. And so the first time we met Tammy, she was still nursing. And um, which is such a, it's such a draining time as a new parent. And to think of her having to go through and, and tell the story, I have, you know, I, I had it then, but even in, in looking back, I have so much respect for, you know, just the bravery that that took. Um, and so Tammy and I had a long talk on the phone and she asked me a ton of questions and wanted to know what I wanted to achieve with the film. Did it align with her sole goal, which was this shouldn't happen to another woman. And, you know, through all her efforts, there was that little ray of success there, that little sunshine where uh, the law was declared unconstitutionally vague. And, you know, that was Tammy's goal to have the enforcement stopped or for her even just to have the law changed in a way that could help someone. How could you approach this issue with you know, some kind of services or help that would, rather than, you know, this this case that Sam's talking about, it's so egregious where someone needs to basically get permission. Uh, you know, this, this is the nightmare we're talking about where women or any pregnant person is being told how, what they basically can do in their day-to-day -day living. And so you essentially stop becoming a person. And so, you know, Tammy, throughout all of this process, we rode many ups and downs of her case. Um, and we stayed with her case and got to share several birthdays uh, with her son and, um, you know, it, go through that process and they're doing so great right now um and through the worst of it you know um but it took many many years to navigate all of the stigma that went along with her experience yeah yeah just to give you uh ben just to give you and the the audience like a timeline in terms of how long we were with tammy and the ups and downs of of her case and um Joe and I had our first shoot together in early 2014, and that was when we first met, well, I first met in person, Lynn Paltrow, and we went to um, National Advocates for Pregnant Women. 
So that was really our first production shoot together. That was, what was that, January, February of 2014. There was a huge snowstorm, so that was a very interesting shoot, to say the least, and very challenging, but we did it. And so from there all the way until the last time that we shot, um, and Tammy was there with us at the Women's March, and that was in 2017. There's a lot more to this timeline, but in terms of like being in production together and following that, just so that people have an idea of, you know, of just how long that was. Yeah. I mean, it seems like there's parallels to like the sort of mindset you need to be in to sort of uh, fight and advocate for advocate for, for women's rights and for pregnant people's uh, rights and fighting against these these crazy laws um, and, and also you know being a documentary filmmaker and I'm interested to hear you know in the, is that is that has it always been sort of a a, a a trait for for both of you to be able to sort of be in into something for the long haul and to sort of see the long game and 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 know that and, and have the patience and the sort of focus to be able to be working on this single project for as long as you have? Well, this, this was my uh, first feature that I directed. So I was in uncharted territory the entire time. So had you told me uh, you'll be done in two years or seven, I wouldn't have known the difference. I was just in that boat, you know, Rosalie and I were paddling away, just navigating all of the waves that came, came for us. And so, um, I had always worked on other people's films where, you know, maybe I was part of the production team out in the field and then coming back and editing. Cause that's what I do. So I would dip my toe into projects, but to, you know, to kind of carry through a singular project like this, especially one that's so close to home, it, it really does, um, it dominates. And, and there were a few times where, you know, obviously as a filmmaker, you have to also make a living. Uh, and so I'd have to, you know, put everything on hold, you know, Rosalie and I would be off doing other jobs and then we'd kind of reconvene and try to start up again. Um, it's a long, long process. And, um, boy, did I learn a lot of, uh, things that I wouldn't do again. Um, but I also just know that filmmaking is not something that you can expect is going to go smoothly. I mean, there are a bunch of lives involved and, and, and these stories always have the twists and turns and you really need to be willing to go with those um, and try to settle into what you feel might be the end of the story and you just have to stay with it until then. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, here's a question. I, you know, I wonder like, so you're coming in and this story is already in progress. And in fact, a lot of the sort of maybe crucial uh, things that, 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 that form the start and the middle of the story have already happened. And you arrive on the scene as a filmmaker and you're kind of playing catch up. And I am assuming that you have to think about two things, either how am I going to, I need to figure out a way to tell this story having, you know, uh, having to figure out how to, how I'm going to present the parts of the story that have already happened that I haven't been able to capture on camera and there may not be any footage of. And so I wonder, was there something, was there some tangible something, an interview or some documents or some audio recording or something that you 
uh, were able to acquire at some point and then able, were able to tell yourself, okay, I'm going to be able to make this film because I have this? Or was there something you were looking for that until you found it, you weren't sure whether you're going to be able to pull it off? Or was the discussion between the two of you or, or in your head more like, I need to figure out how to tell this story, you know, and I need I need to come up with a structure and a, and a storytelling method that's maybe doesn't have to rely on some things I wish I had. Yeah, that's a great question. And as an editor going into this, you know, an editor by trade, you're always trying to anticipate and, and envision. Uh, but I think because this story unfolded over such a long period of time, that a lot of those plans, you know, you know, you need the key elements and you're, you know, I think that we were always thinking of those, especially with the storytelling and the editing background that I had. But the key thing to me, Tammy's voice as a witness to her own experience is so strong that in the end, when you're looking at your assets, you say, what do I have here? Um, how can we get the viewer into the mindset of where Tammy was? And I'm telling you, uh, just, I just drove through Wisconsin. I just drove cross country through Eau Claire and her words all these years later came up for me as she was describing what happened to her in the jail in Medford. And so I think she's such a strong witness, but also part of the decision that was made when Tammy's case was being heard, a judge said that her case could be unsealed. Tammy wanted her records unsealed. And in digging into that, I discovered that there was not just a, uh, you know, a written transcript, but there were audio calls of this very first hearing because it took place over the conference room. And you hear that in the film. And to me, that is how we get a behind the scenes view. And the recording is really disturbing, um, you know, outside of the sound bites that we chose to help tell the story. There's a lot of casual chit chat between the players after Tammy's left the room. And it's just, it's very heartbreaking and hurtful to hear them being so cavalier about deciding what to do with Tammy's body uh, for the remainder of her pregnancy. And so that was, I think, a key element because of course we couldn't interview her while she was incarcerated. Um, and, you know, so you do have that challenge. How do you tell a story that already happened? And I think that those recordings really bring alive just how egregious some of the conversations were around her as, as a person. Yeah, I mean, the process is quite nonlinear, you know, in a lot of ways, kind of following Tammy's case. And I think just working with humans, you know, as opposed to actors, right? It's there, it's just not a controlled environment. So it is, it, it's very nonlinear. And I think, you know, I'm a big proponent of like creativity being very nonlinear in general, you know, and how you process things and, and how you figure out uh, making decisions, you know, something else that I think is a really key element to the film is the, um, injection of the motion graphics. We have quite a bit of them in this film. And so that was another creative asset and a creative way to give more context to what's happening, you know, obviously within, within like the confines of, of Tammy's case, but also at a national level. 
So we worked with like a really fantastic motion graphic artist uh, who's a dear friend of ours, you know, to to also, I think, give life to that too. And, and you know, and you end up like making a lot of these decisions and kind of thinking outside the box because you don't have certain things. And I think a lot of filmmakers, right, we're constantly doing that. And that's kind of part of our job. Yeah. And we had a great archival researcher and she was able to find, you know, I was always on the hunt for clips. I'd find a couple and then, you know, we'd try to find one that was just right. And if it was perfect and we couldn't have the rights to it, she would research and find us something because the archival really helps tell a story. And um, how did I forget about archival? <laughs> I think maybe because like I blocked it out for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, but, yeah hard to believe it exists. It's hard to believe it exists that there is a politician that will sit on t a television program and call uh, women hosts and that he can't find a better word. It's, it's almost impossible to envision that that exists. And um, one thing I wanted to make sure I don't forget to talk about is um, we've been working with National Advocates for Pregnant Women recently in trying to come up with a guide, and they've put together a ton of resources. And so there are things that are still being done, even though the film is done. And we're going to be updating our website with resources. They've been working very hard to pull together a, a lot of this information so the general public can get educated. And that's one thing. Uh, Sam, I don't know if there's anything about that that you feel like talking about what kind of resources that you might be pulling together or even other cases that are going on that people should pay attention to. But, but this will be a way that people can also learn a lot more about what's happening, not only in Wisconsin, but nationally. Yeah. And Sam, I'd love to hear a little more about your organization in general and like, you know, um, you know, what, what, what you're focused on and, and, and how people, can interact with with your organization or, or or bring you in for support, and what you know what circumstances that makes sense. Yeah. So um, thank you both for that. I think um, in general, National Advocates for Pregnant Women um, advocates for people to retain their civil and human rights when they're pregnant, specifically if they're facing criminal charges or a loss of liberty because of their pregnancy as Tammy did. And one of the really crucial aspects that this documentary adds to our work and that we've tried to use in our the organizing side of our work because we combine legal advocacy, education and more organizing um, to try to change these practices across the country. Um, and this documentary is so crucial in that work because I can tell you numbers of people who are facing these types of charges. As I said, 460 um, people per year in Wisconsin with these full limitations, 1,200 people per year with investigations. Um, nationwide in criminal cases since 2005, there's been well over 1,000 um, criminal charges related to pregnancy that can be homicide, manslaughter for experiencing a stillbirth or a miscarriage. It can be um, criminal child abuse. It can be child endangerment for 
things related to a fetus, not a child, right? Um, among many other types of charges. And um, none of that really matters or, or sits sort of hits deeply with people without the really personal story that Joe and Rosalie were so well able to say through this um, documentary. So um, in Wisconsin, um, Repro Action and NAPW have been partnering to try to have more people see this documentary and use that as an entry point to draw people in to the type of action that you're describing. So signing the petition, letting us know if they have a case. Um, maybe they're a social worker or a um, child protective services worker or no one and could better understand how egregiously this impacts someone's life and try to change those practices. And so in Wisconsin, um, we are trying to sort of in a more immediate sense um, to try to impact more immediate change, pressure the governor, the attorney general, and the relevant department secretaries, probably Department of Children and Families and Department of Health, to just stop enforcement, just issue guidance that this shouldn't be enforced. It's detrimental to the health of mothers, of children, of their other family members, because it deters people from getting health care because they're afraid of having this type of impact. Um, and then have them pressure the legislature to change um, the law, to change the statute. Um, realistically, I think that's a long way away given the makeup of the legislature, but that's something that should happen in the future. Um, and then similarly, you know, pursue a new court case, but as um, Rosalie and Joe are describing, that takes a long time and it takes a really special person to want to commit that much time and energy and having to tell this story, drop all that trauma over the course of years in a hope of getting a better outcome for someone else in the future. Um, it's just a really, really big commitment. So um, that's a big challenge. And so educating people, whether lawyers, doctors, social workers, midwives, doulas, um, law enforcement officials um, who might be the ones who are reporting these cases, about 30% of the cases come from social service workers and I think 20% from law enforcement, um, educating them about what this really does and how it negatively impacts the public health of the whole community um, to try to have people approach it in a different way. Yeah, I just wanna say again, after hearing what you just said, that I'm still sort of astonished and baffled by the idea that because Tammy eventually moved out of the state that her that the case was rendered moot. I don't understand. I mean, these things happened to her in Wisconsin and they happened. And I, I don't understand why she loses standing just because she, at some point in the future, leaves the state. Well, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer, but the argument made for the uh, woman who had a case before Tammy, so there, Tammy isn't the first, but the, another woman, tried to get her case through and please correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, but, but basically the idea was, well, you're not pregnant anymore. So 
your case doesn't matter. You can't bring this case because you're already, you, it doesn't impact you because you're not pregnant. And so they had to fight through that part of it with Tammy to say that, you know, these cases don't normally even get through these court dates and cycles until you've had a baby. So they've created a scenario where you could never challenge a law. And so this is just a way of extending that now to Tammy finding another reason. And it really, to me, was quite cowardly what this panel of judges did because they didn't address the issue of the constitutionality of the law. They basically just said, ah, we're not gonna deal with it right now. Um, and so, I think that, um, you know, I, I just want to say one other thing, because Sam mentioned this in that, and, and Rosalie talked about it too. Every time we came back to Tammy a year later or six months later, I felt the responsibility just as a human being, I could see that my questions were re-traumatizing her in many ways. And, and the film, along with the court case, kept her in this place of trauma. So I'm so grateful that we're on the other side of that. And, and, and you know, she can breathe a little easier, but it does take a special person, like Sam was saying. And I think that, that Tammy was just really ready for that. And also she didn't have restrictions by her attorneys or she wasn't uh, actively incarcerated where she couldn't participate. Um, there's a lot of reasons why people can't or won't come forward to share their story. And that human in, humanization of this experience, I think is that feeling you got, Ben, that you talked about, that's what will inspire people to make noise about it. And that's what we need is a lot of noise. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you just said that because that was the other thing that Sam said that I wanted to come back to, which is that just like you said, people hear about these things in the abstract and they're kind of like, uh-huh. But you put a human face to it and you tell somebody's specific story and, you know, it couldn't be any more compelling. But I also want to say that as somebody who gets films submitted to them all year long, every year, I see, you know, dozens, hundreds of documentaries that, that come and go. And lots of them have potentially compelling stories, but the filmmaker for one reason or another, is not able to present them in a, a particularly compelling way. And and something that could be as interesting as Tammy's story, uh, you know, in, in somebody else's hands could be maybe, you know, an, a documentary that is maybe a tenth as interesting as yours is. Uh, when I watch your film, I think this film is crafted, um, and, and I think people tend to not really think about documentaries in terms of storytelling. I mean, they should, but I mean, you know, you hear the word documentary, like, okay, we're going to learn this true story. And, you know, I think that there's like the word dry usually comes up <laughs> when you're in, in your brain, when you're thinking that, but your film is crafted to be as sort of as suspenseful and compelling as any, you know, legal thriller uh, or, or, or suspense film uh, could be. And I wonder um, what films you may have looked at as inspiration for the way you tell this story, uh, whether they're documentaries or narratives? That's a great question because as Rosalie can attest, there was a moment there where I basically was curled up on my couch and I knew I had to change the cut. The first rough cut, I just was so disappointed in my just, I was so close to it and I took a full six months away and it really popped in my head one day 
what do I need to do to restructure this thing? And that the storytelling and the structuring is so important because you're not changing the facts, but you are changing how you're peeling back the onion. And we had, um, so I watched um, films that you might not think would, would matter, but I love the film Internet's Own Boy. I loved the film um, McConkie by uh, David Zeef, who was one of our uh, editing consultants. And why, even though that's a very different story about a very different person, I loved how he, uh, how he presents humanity and his character. And so I love McConkie and I watched that. There are other films um, that I started watching initially, like The Invisible War. They're more like a journalistic tale. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that my first cut might've been more in that vein, but because of, you know, as indie filmmakers and the resources we had and the footage we had, that just wasn't cutting it for this story. It, Tammy was taking a back seat. And so um, we had another uh, story consultant, uh, Johanna Demetrakis, who's just such a, like a story she's, whisperer. She's like a Yoda. A little Yoda <laughs> behind you, kind of like trying that. to get you to figure out the story you want to tell. And that was one of the best gifts I ever received, which is like, I was kind of expecting some uh, concrete stuff. And she's like, well, what is, how do you want to tell this? And until you really grapple with that, and until you really go through that, you know, tearing your hair out, how do I want to tell this story? And, you know, you won't have that kind of film. And my guiding principle was always, how do I keep Tammy front and center? We're telling a national story, but also Tammy's story. And I wanted just everything, her, her words and her, her own witness, I think are just so powerful. And I think by letting her have that reign to tell her story, I think that that was the right choice. And ultimately, you know, yes, it would have been lovely if we had been able to raise a bunch of money and had a big budget. But I think the beauty of this story is that it does rest on, on, on Tammy's voice. And I think that makes the film exactly what it needs to be. And I think when you, when you get in, into that kind of mode of thinking outside the box pretty consistently and trying to be innovative and do as much as you can with very little, and we had very little, we were on a shoestring budget. We worked with a very tight, small, intimate team because that's what we had to work with you kind of start to appreciate. And I feel like it's easier to say that now. It's like, oh, it was a gift because we are on the other side of it. You know, and when you're in it, you're just, yeah, you are. Like you're laying in bed at night and you cannot sleep <laughs> because you're thinking about all of these things um, that might not happen, right? But looking back now and, you know, and sitting with Joe and, and us talking, you know, over the years, because it was, it's like a, it's like a windy path. You know, again, I said this earlier, but it's very nonlinear. You really do kind of realize, oh, wow, I don't have all these assets, but maybe that's a benefit to the film and the structure and the way that we tell the story. And I think we finally kind of got to that point. And the reason I bring that up is because we really didn't have a ton of B-roll, you know, with Tammy or, you know, 
in, in regards of having like supportive footage, we, we were not that film that just had like a hundred hours, right. Of, of footage, but in a way that really worked to our benefit. And I think it's really hard to kind of see that until you're in it. And, you know, kudos to Joe for, you know, spending just a ridiculous amount of time, right? Like just dissecting that and then also just coming to terms with it. And we're like, okay, this is what, this is what we have. And this is what we need to do to make the story that, you know, that, that, deserves to be told and deserves to be seen and and deserves to lift Tammy's voice and and other women's voices that are in this film too. So mm-hmm. that was a real learning I don't know that was like a real learning curve for me as um a producer producing my first feature documentary and also as like a real teaching moment, you know. I am again <laughs> I'm on the other side of it now and there's been time and space but I'm pretty yeah, I'm, I'm pretty in awe of what we were able to do with very little. But I think that's kind of just the narrative, right, for most documentary filmmakers. We just kind of figure it out and we, we make it work. And I'm not saying, by the way, that that's always good. I think it's actually a very unsustainable way of, of telling stories and, and making art and making film. Um, and I think COVID has really kind of brought that right to the forefront for a lot of us and there's kind of a reckoning happening with some of that, but sometimes um, not maybe having all the things that you need, like all the bells and whistles is actually um, to your benefit. Yeah, and what other way can you tell the story? You know, when we were in Medford, we took a lot of the, the beautiful Wisconsin scenery and, you know, really thinking about that footage and what it means, this all-American, you know, freedom and liberty viewpoint we have of, you know, these bucolic scenes and stuff. And underneath that, and there have been several stories that have come out of Wisconsin that are very dark, that involve law enforcement. And, you know, it, these stories and this abuse of power really sits kind of in juxtaposition to this kind of quaint small town life. And I think that that's another, it's just another layer of storytelling that you can go to when you, when, you know, you don't have the, you know, you're not in the cell or you're not in, you know, the story from the very beginning. Yeah. You've both said things to the effect of sort of now being sort of on the other side of things and being able to, have some perspective on on the journey that you've been on with this film, but I would love to hear where each of you think you are on this journey with the film and also where the film itself is on its journey. Um, and, and some of the, some of the, some of the things the film has had to deal with, not only the pandemic, but seemingly like a never ending barrage of, of crucial issues in this country that keep, popping up and maybe pushing this very important, crucial issue to the side and um, how, how difficult that's been to sort of promote and navigate this film through all, through everything that we've been through for the last, I guess, four years, at least. It certainly isn't what you're expecting at the end of a seven year journey. You know, I have to say, like, I'm always trying to find, you know, 
what are the good things? And we were so fortunate to sit down with audiences in many states before the pandemic and feel, I, I, I don't know how I would feel right now if I hadn't had that experience because I can feel that tension of an audience. I can hear them gasping when Tammy's telling a story. And to me, that was so important to know, to actually witness that and then to have that back and forth with audiences. Um, where am I in this process? Well, we, uh, you know, we are available with, um, you know, we have our educational distribution going on now, and you know, we're also available on demand. And um, but what I want to turn my focus to after having taken a few months away with family is working with Repro Action and, and APW uh, to come up with resources that will help people through the film, you know, understand the issues, um, and then to try to continue on with community screenings. And, you know, it's an endless process of trying to raise money for that. And, you know, what, how can we get the film in the hands of the organization? So we're still looking and, and seeking funding for that, that group that would want to, uh, you know, take care of, getting the hand, you know, getting the film into the hands of reproductive justice organizations across the country. And so that's going to remain the focus um, now. And hopefully we can sit down with audiences again in the in the future. Um, this isn't an issue that's going to go away, even though Tammy's story has passed. Um, you know, Sam is talking about the case she's working on right now, which I hadn't heard that case, the amount of restrictions on there. Um, it, it, it always sounds like an exaggeration that it's right out of Handmaid's Tale. But um, a funny story is I was talking with Tammy recently and she said, she had texted me. She says, oh my gosh, Joe, I had never watched Handmaid's Tale and I just did. And now I know why they were calling my case a real life Handmaid's Tale. And that, gave me chills all over again. Um, just also realizing that she couldn't have stomached that show and that the fact that she's watching it now means she's really in a better place, but she could see, you know, those connections. So I think we'll need the film for a while out there. Yeah, I, I mean, this is not going away. I, <sighs> You know, there has this, it's kind of this uh, thing that happens when, when you make a film about something like this that is so insidious and is part of this like larger conversation around reproductive justice, reproductive health, abortion, you know, the policing of women's bodies. You know, I hate to use this word, but unfortunately it's like an evergreen issue that's just never going away. And I do think that unfortunately the pandemic has had a, a real impact on the reach of this film. It's had a profound impact on all of our lives. You know, I mean, right now I'm just trying to learn like how to, quite frankly, how to hold space, you know, for grief and loss and, and everything that we've lost, you know, collectively. Um, I am mothering a, a toddler and, you know, became a mom 
on, you know, during the making of this film. And so I am definitely in that place of reevaluating, but, you know, in terms of my goals and, and what I want to do moving forward, but being a producer, you know, I'm also working on other projects too, but I guess just to go back to, yeah, the, the reality of, of where we are, we absolutely have lost some of that reach, but I think because we made such a badass film <laughs> and we have really incredible partners and it does really deconstruct a lot. I just think this is a film that people are gonna watch for years to come. And it's really hard for us to know on the distribution front, you know what I mean? Like what that means for the film six months from now, a year from now, because some of that is really dependent on what's happening politically in the landscape and how that also kind of informs, you know, is this film gonna, you know, be lifted again? Is someone gonna come and be interested in it in a different kind of way? Um, and that is kind of mixing like business, which we don't always love as filmmakers, but like the business part and the political part you know, and then the filmmaking part. So there is a lot that we don't quite know. Um, Joe, I just say that because Clem and I were, <laughs> we were having conversations about that and just, you know, in relationship also to the series that she's working on um, as well. And how, you know, two years ago, I'm talking about a, our associate producer, actually, Clementine Briand, um, who's just an amazing human and she's working on an incredible, uh, series right now, but it was kind of like, oh, we're not interested in it. We're not interested in this series like two years ago. And then the Black Lives Matter movement really took off and they were very interested in her series. And so it's hard to know. Our industry is, yeah, I'm not gonna <laughs> say much more on that point, but it's quite fickle. <laughs> but can I just ask Sam a quick question? And Sam, you look like you wanted to say something. I, Rosalie said something and then it made me think of this political part because I think people relax when they say, okay, we've got uh, Biden in the White House and everything's gonna be okay. And then now we need to be afraid if, you know, we get another, uh, you know, person like Trump in, in the White House. So reality check. Sam, what is the reality check? Should people sit back and relax? I think we've had a lot of laws passed, but how should people approach this issue knowing now who we have uh, currently sitting in the White House? Yeah, well, unfortunately, a lot of these cases come in state by state or even in the criminal context, prosecutor by a prosecutor. So who's in the White House or not doesn't have necessarily a direct bearing. And I think statistically, actually, the number of anti-choice bills or legislation introduced that is trying to establish a fetus as an independent person from a pregnant person, which obviously they're not, they can't function outside of the pregnant person, um, that, that the numbers of those uh, pieces of legislation that are introduced actually increases during Democratic administrations compared with Republican administrations. So it is not the time to sit back. And um, I mean, Joe, you, you've alluded a couple of times to the resources that we're trying to develop and um, 
one of NAPW's interns this spring, Mahati from Reddy, has pulled together a really great um, reading list for people who want to know more, both more sort of public facing um, written media and um, for the legal nerds among us, law review articles and um, other more um, law journal type writing um, on these issues. And um, Wisconsin, by the numbers, because of this law, has the vast majority of these cases where people's liberties are infringed upon because of their pregnancy. But that's something we see across the country. I think um, NIPW documented at least 413 arrests between 1973 when Roe passed um, and 2005, and then 1,000 from 2005 to the present. And we know that that is a severe undercount because um, these cases aren't charged as a single type of charge. It could be murder, it could be child neglect. Child neglect could be, you know, anything apparently from pregnancy through age 18. So it's just really hard to find these cases. So we know it's a severe undercount, but that's a lot. And, and 43 out of our 50 states, it's really um, spread nationwide. One of NAPW's major cases right now is in California, where someone is charged with murder because she experienced a stillbirth and the prosecutor blames that stillbirth on um, her methamphetamine use during pregnancy, even though there isn't a scientific basis to find a cause and effect from using methamphetamine and having a stillbirth. Um, so I say that, you know, people are often shocked by the California, California is so liberal. <clears throat> Doesn't matter. Um, it really happens everywhere and I think we do also see that just with how much people are willing to um, impose their own expectations on pregnant people for what their behavior should or shouldn't be like. And I think we've all seen or know of or know someone who's been pregnant and has half a beer and is getting glares from everyone around them or, you know, has a baby on, I live in New York, has a baby on the subway and someone critiques them for not having earmuffs because the sound could damage their, um, their hearing development. And we just have this idea that we can really impose our own expectations on how other people should be pregnant and parent. And when that applies to people who are pregnant, there's no way to separate and I, I don't think there should be a family separation. I, I'm not trying to advocate that in any way, but um, it's, it is just especially egregious for a pregnant person because there can't be treatment of a fetus as something separate from that pregnant person. Yeah, I was, I, I had this other question for you, Sam, as somebody who's already been, was already immersed in these issues and advocating for pregnant women um what was your reaction the first time you saw this film and and how useful do you see it as a tool for the work that your organization does 
I was frankly totally shocked and wanted everyone I knew to see it. And one of the things, so I come actually from a family defense background. So I was a public defender representing parents against child abuse and neglect cases in family court, not criminal court. And um, so I kind of thought I had seen many of the ways that the state would try to control parents for things fully beyond their control or for thing, intervene in their lives for things that, that they really shouldn't. And this was really shocking to me. And I think um, for those of us who are immersed in this work, it can be hard to explain to our friends, our family, why this matters and why it's so egregious because there is such stigma and bias against people who use drugs, particularly parents who use drugs, particularly people who are pregnant and use drugs. And so this documentary, I think just humanizes that experience and process in such a crucial way. And um, in a way that I think a lot of lawyers, I mean, I don't, um, directly represent or appear in court for um, clients anymore. But for those who do, I think it also really serves an, as an example for how to tell that story in a way that's compelling. Um, so I think it's brilliant. And um, we've been using it in a lot of our advocacy and I, I'm excited for us to continue to do that. I was very nervous when I went to New York City with the film in hand and I sat in the conference room at NAPW, I was very, very nervous because, you know, the thing as a filmmaker, when you're treading into the world of advocacy and advocates and you're working with these experts and, you know, we could not have made this film without the work of all the advocates we work with and then all the other people we don't know, right? Um, and your concern is to be accurate. You, you don't, this is so crucial that you don't want to make a mistake. And so it was really great to have NAPW to work with and to, to look at, you know, the film and say, hey, you might've got this statistic wrong. And, you know, I was very open to that, but boy, was I nervous the first time they watched it because I just, I so wanted to make a film that would be a useful tool. Um, and so that's great to hear that. <laughs> and I think, you know, both Joe and Sam bring up a really good point um, because for me, I, I didn't really know that this was happening at all, you know, before I came on to this film, but it is very complicated and it's complex. And, you know, one of our goals was to really humanize this complex issue that I think can be seen in very binary ways. And um, yeah, I certainly, man, I grew a lot and I learned a lot through this process as well. But I think that is always the challenge taking on something with this large of a scope. It was really intimidating. It was really intimidating for me in the beginning. But what I really appreciate um, about it is that we are not looking at it, hopefully, through a, a binary lens. And that, you know, we really are like showing the ripple effect. 
of of these very punitive laws and just what they do across the spectrum it's it's really hard to grasp actually it's really hard to fathom it well thank you sam joe and rosalie for hanging out with me for i don't know maybe been an hour or so um uh, it's been great getting to talk to you about this film finally uh and thanks so much for letting us share it with with our audience this year, um, a year late, but uh, as I can attest, just as powerful as it was when I watched it a year and a half ago, so. Thank you, and we're so honored to have the Golden Badger Award. It's so exciting. Uh, it was the first award the film uh, took, and we're so excited about it, and I can't believe everything got canceled right before going to Wisconsin. The dream was to, to be in Wisconsin with Wisconsin residents and we may get there again, but thank you so much for having us and, and for um, choosing the film for the Golden Badger. We're really honored. Yeah. And please keep us posted about the film and, and those, those materials that you're working on. Yes. Um, and we'd love to be able to share them out and share information about future screenings and all that stuff. So this yeah. will be my work wanna, for the next few weeks. So <laughs> I do want to just plug our site because yeah. people can go there and get involved and sign the petition and learn more about repro action and NAPW's work. But if you go to personhooddoc.com, we have a get involved page and then we also have a resources page. Um, and we have um, we're curating like yeah a collection of books too. So. Fantastic. Those are great, great places to start. And I'm, what? Love what sure I said. Oh, yeah. I've refrained from asking you, so I'm not going to ask you, but I'm telling you how tempted I was to ask you about what's going on behind you, Rosalie. It looks like you've got a three-act structure. <laughs> I do. I know this is probably not the best backdrop. No, it's great. Um, for... <laughs> for doing Q&As and interviews. Yeah, I'm working on another documentary that I'm trying to finish at the end of this year. So that's that's on my horizon. So I'm pretty deep in the edit on that. Cool. So, it, and and it continues, right? We're just, yeah, we, we obviously love this so much we can't stop doing it. Yeah, well, we'll bring it to us for next year's festival, if it's right. Okay. Okay.